if you're running tests well, you actually will find that most of them will fail, not succeed, which means your goal is to basically, as a growth marketer or a growth hacker, uh, find what isn't working, and then whatever is left, hopefully, is what will work for you. Welcome to the Inbound Buzz Podcast, your weekly jolt of all things digital and inbound marketing, brought to you by redpandas.com.au. Now for your host and co-founder of Red Pandas, Moby Sadiq. Welcome to Inbound Buzz. I'm your host, Moby Sadiq, and in this episode, we're back with an interview with another digital marketing expert. Ladies and gentlemen, I bring to you the Derek Haney. Talk about a sea change. This guy went from professional poker player to keynoting on digital marketing in just a few short years. He's a self-confessed growth hacker, has taught people how to become digital marketers within a year, and somehow managed to rank number one for digital marketing agency San Diego in three to four months. This guy can also teach you a thing or two about building your own personal brand. So without further ado, let's learn a thing or two from Derek Haney. Derek Haney is a former professional poker player, co-founder of his own digital marketing agency, Splash OPM, and now a growth and inbound marketer who regularly speaks about startups, growth hacking, and marketing. Welcome to the show, Derek. Hello. Wow. Great intro. I, I better live up to those things. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Derek, as a, I'm, I'm really curious about this, right? It's particularly people who kind of make a bit of a sea change in their careers. So as a former professional poker player, what has that taught you about risk and what you do today? Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's insane. And, you know, because I was so involved in um, investing, essentially, it's a poker is short term investment where you're seated against eight other competitors, up to eight other competitors. Um, who are all relatively smart human beings that they all want your money and you want theirs and you have to out outthink them in order to retain more money than they retain. So it's a it's a really uh, brutal ongoing battle, not just um, you know, mentally, physically, uh, emotionally, think a lot of things that come out of that. And I think that one of the things you have to learn really, really fast is how to invest your money. And um, and I found that, you know, most people are by nature risk averse because uh, risk adversity is inherent in human beings. And we have um, we, we in order to survive, we, we need to you know not jump off cliffs or even go near cliffs uh, and, and all of those things that all those dangers in the world that come from that. But in order for uh, you to succeed in today's world and environment, you have to actually appropriately judge and take risks doesn't mean that you're a risk seeker. So you sh- um, it means that you're a, like weighting the decisions properly, which most people are not doing. And of course, all humans have their own internal biases, so it's impossible to really do. But um, instead of you know being focused at at um, like how many decisions I make or was that decision right or wrong, you need to be focused on getting as close to the most like objective decision that you can make and making the best possible decisions. And so that's that's kind of what I learned um, on the on the risk side is that most people are terrible, and I mean god awful. Entrepreneurs, uh, CEOs, especially large slow moving companies seem to be very terrible at risk management. Um, actually, sorry, especially small business. I think small businesses mm-hmm. are the worst. I think small business owners are like criminally offensive at investing their money. They have to keep their money for some reason. 
Um, but it, it obviously, if you know, uh, like a small business owner doesn't want to invest half of their yearly income into something that could insanely blow up their business. And obviously there's risk. Obviously we need to make the proper calculation. But if the outcome is really, you know, so great and the risk of ruin is so little, we have to be making those big investments in those big plays, just like in poker. Mm, intriguing. Speaking of the risk, I guess, versus growth trade-off, my next question for you is what is growth marketing and how is that different to growth hacking? Uh, yeah, so I actually asked this question when you follow me on Twitter. Uh, growth marketing or growth hacking? They're, they're technically... Uh, I, I believe that they can be synonymous in the same thing. There's no real reason to uh, differentiate the two from a technical sense. Like, um, but at, at this point with these words, um, they mean whatever people really want them to mean. So this is kind of like the creation of terms, terminology and words. And I don't think that there has been like, it's, it's not as clear as like what black means and what white means, right? Like it's like literally, it's, it's, it is in the eye of the beholder still. So, but if, if I were to break them down a little bit separately, maybe, um, maybe I, I just think growth hacking as a term is actually just going to die out over time. Mm. Um, and it was a great term when it came into existence, but it really just means growth marketing if done properly. The, the, the minor difference is that perhaps growth marketers really are slightly more focused on acquisition, slightly less focused on the internal virality mechanisms and product in the product and stuff like that. But technically it's all supposed to mean using the, uh, a method to use the scientific process to, um, to come up with hypotheses, make, uh, make tests, run those tests, come up with conclusions, very specific conclusions, and then iterate uh, the testing pattern basically based on those conclusions, assuming that most of your tests will fail. Um, because most, you, if you're running the right, like if you're running tests well, you actually will find that most of them will fail, not succeed, which means your goal is to basically as a growth marketer or a growth hacker, uh, find what isn't working and then whatever is left hopefully is what will work for you. Mm, so it's an expedited process of elimination essentially. Would you, yeah. would you say that growth marketing, marketing is more strategic? So does, you know, does that tie into the whole idea of you know, the strategy and the personas and your voice and whatnot? Um, as a little bit more than growth hacking does? Perhaps. Um, I do. Th I, I think that there there's still ambiguity in the term. So to you, perhaps it does. To others, perhaps it does. And if you think about what marketing is, the older school traditional marketing, you would assume when we're tying the word marketing in that we'd be you know tying back a lot more towards top of funnel customer relationship. So getting a prospect to a sale. But as we know with the evolution of the internet and technology, most of our business is actually taking place after the sale. Customer retention, customer loyalty, referral, um, re and just using using our product and retaining it, and you know coming up with the value, um, the core value of our product. People don't often feel the core value of our product till after they've purchased it, and sometimes you have to walk them through that. And so that's I guess what the the hacking side le lends more towards after the sale, and the marketing side lends more towards the beginning. But there's no reason to think that they can't be synonymous or, or interchangeable. Yeah, sure, sure. I think what I what I loved what you said, which is a bit different to what I've what I've heard in in the the forty odd growth hacking webinars, everyone gets 
promoted to these days is that process of that scientific, you know, testing and eliminating what doesn't work. Uh, I guess, you know, just real quickly, I guess one of my bugbears with the whole growth hacking thing is some people take it as a bit of a silver bullet. It's a bit of a magic pill. And that, that really isn't what it's about, you know, from um, what I, what I, when I hear you talk about it. Yeah. It, oh, certainly not. And, you know, we, uh, you can preach this internally and externally. Everyone wants a, wants an easy answer, right? Just with poker was the same way. You know, they thought that they could just win the world series of poker main event, $7 million, easy piece of cake. Um, but really there's, you know, years and years of experience just go into, uh, even having an opportunity to, to make the right decisions and make money in that field. And, and in this field, it's, it, it really is about, um, especially it doesn't have to be early stage companies, but in early stage companies that have a runway, you literally are going to fail. Your company is going to go under if you don't get some level of traction by such and such date. And so you literally have to think of the most effective way of getting to some end goal from that. And it, it just has to do with plugging all those leaks, looking at each individual aspect, running this these minor tests that then lead to larger and larger tests um, or, you know, failed tests that lead to conclusions um, of like, you know, eliminating this persona, eliminating that persona. Okay, now we're down to one persona. That means we can change our product design so that we, don't, we can just focus on these guys, which means that we can um, go into these Facebook groups and target them in acquisition, which means that we can speak more directly to them uh, in this method. And, and going through that process uh, iteratively to, to really fine tune how people come to your company. Sure, sure. So almost this almost might sound like a bit of a magic pill question, but it's not. What are some of your favorite growth marketing tools? And let's keep in mind, obviously, these aren't you know magic pills or anything. And um, if you have any tools in mind, please share them. Particularly from you know you, you I mentioned a couple of times around testing as well. So curious to see if that kind of works in with tools or if that's more of a you know strategic I guess play. It uh, absolutely the the number one tool that I've, uh, I mean, I, ha I have to recommend it. I wrote a little blog post on it. It's Growth Hackers Projects. So growth, growthhackers.com um, run by Sean Ellis, but a lot of other great people that, have, that work in that company um, created um, a really clean interface for brain dumping your ideas, organizing them, rating them in the ICE implementation. So that's uh, Impact, Confidence, and Ease of Execution, ICE. Um, rating them in those three metrics, assigning a stage of the funnel, and then automatically sorting you know, the, the ones that have the highest scores up to the top, then assigning those to team members, running and executing the test, and then putting that into a knowledge base where you have learned results, and you can then go through the knowledge base anytime you're thinking about it. Anyone in the company, maybe somebody's thinking they wanna test a new market segment or change the landing page copy or something like that. Then they go in there, they see that the, there's a test that was ran with like, similar conclusions it found oh that didn't work or we already tried that and we've made adjustments and um and it was a minor like it had a very low impact so let's do something else like so having those learn the the knowledge base there to learn from is um is really powerful and so that tool is growth hackers projects um and it can really help a company organize this stuff but it's only as good as the people that are using it so it, it, you know you have to be um you have to have a great growth team where you're going to use that tool on a weekly basis to run your tests or you're going to you know, ask tough questions and put those into your cards on, on their kind of board 
of of uh, of tasks and tests to run. That is um, awesome. That is, I can see that applied in in small agile teams, but also larger teams. We have so much attrition, and then six months later, the team doesn't realize that this has already run run the rounds a little bit. That's awesome. I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Um, the the other thing I've I've, I've uh, read in in my research, I, I love the way you've kind of positioned this. Um, you talk about a minimal minimum viable audience, um, as opposed to just you know a minimal viable product. So how does someone go about that? So on, on its surface level, when you when someone first reads it, they're like, well, how do I go about amassing such a large audience before a launch? What are your what are your thoughts there? Yeah, it really is. It's it's a mindset shift because every entrepreneur wants to, every, every entrepreneur wants to build their product. They think they have this awesome Uber for cats idea, and they're they're it's as soon as they get that out there, you know, everyone's gonna flock to it, right? And and I'm I think I feel like people have heard this now a hundred times, but if you haven't heard it, if you build it, they will come. Is not a viable business model. Okay, so we need we need to, people to come, and then we should build something for them. We should actually ask them what they act what they actually want, and then build for them. So building for your customer rather than building and then finding customers, super super important. The way to go about it, um, and there's a ton of examples. Um, SEO Moz originally, you know, from Rand Fishkin was just a blog about about uh, SEO, and it became one of the best blogs on SEO, mm. and then it turned into. Uh, a few different tools that they now have analytics moz local and their open keyword tool uh thing and, and a couple other stuff so they turned a blog into an agency into a SaaS marketing tool the agency no longer exists and they did that all off of the backbone of uh of of talking to their audience um teaching their audience and then listening to their audience and figuring out what they should build off of that, and that's that's definitely my favorite example of it. But there are plenty more examples of of, of those audience-first strategies. So I always tell people, your minimum viable product is probably content, right? Because if if you can't get people excited about a blog post that you wrote that solves a problem, how are you going to get them excited about the product that solves the problem? So so we can gain we can gauge market interest based off of our content, and that'll also help us fine-tune our product as we build it. So at least investing part, um, and even I'd say, I usually say 50% of your time into getting customers now before launch, before you even have anything to show them, um, asking them questions, surveying them, getting them into an email list, worming them up, and um, you know, and, and getting, getting them involved in the process of making this. And this is a little bit like crowdfunding, but it doesn't always have to be crowdfunding. It, you know, it can be done privately, it can be done for enterprise level, it can be done any, any which way. And then just just keeping them in the loop with content, helping having them help you grow the list. And then those are your first customers, and you know these are your early adopters, your number one fans. And you're going to launch to an audience of people rather than launching to nobody and hoping to go build that audience. I love that. I love that, and I love how you tie that into not only asking, um, but actually giving them some value. So I, I knew about SEO. I mean, I know Moz now, like we all do, but I didn't know we'd actually started the way it started. That very good example. Fantastic. Being an agency owner myself, uh, I first actually heard about you when I stumbled across a video, and I can't remember where it might have been on Facebook or wherever, where you spoke in a fair detail how you came to rank for Digital Marketing Agency San Diego, right? 
sure you've sure you've you know got a lot of uh, yeah. great feedback around that. I didn't and, I didn't know that's how you found me. Yeah, uh, I think it was a Facebook. I, video. I shut down that uh, that campaign. It didn't convert that well. <laughs> well, uh, this might have been when it was still running, and then I, I was looking for it again. I couldn't really find it. Then I found it on YouTube, and um, yeah, and, and this was this was quite amazing. So this was for a domain with no domain authority, no trickery in a matter of months. And what what is most impressive to me about this working in digital marketing, like you're working with other people who know digital marketing, right? Like they, they kind of know what they're doing. It's not some kind of, you know, like a, a, I don't know about in, in the States, but in America, for instance, you know, a plumber or a builder doesn't really know what they're doing when it comes to SEO. So it wasn't that those sort of terms. Can mm-hmm. you give the listeners a bit of a, because obviously the video was a fair bit of detail, but can you give the listeners a bit of a summary of your technique and do you think it's repeatable? Absolutely repeatable. We're, we've actually repeated it once and about to go live with another repetition of that. And these are for different companies. Um, so so it, it is repeatable. And the reason it's repeatable is because um, this is we're giving people what they actually want to hear. Um, and so what I mean by that is if somebody's searching for like Digital Marketing Agency San Diego, what they're doing is they're looking for comparing options of different agencies. You know as well as I that all the agencies kind of look the same from the outside, don't they? Mm. It's like, we do full service. We do full service. We, we will get you leads and sales. We will get you leads and sales. It's like, what is the difference? So what we did as an agency is I sat down. I, I spent almost 40 hours on the project. Um, I took the top, what I considered the leading agencies in my city, and I looked at them. And I actually put a little bit of what I call content tilt on this, or or I didn't invent the term content tilt, Joe Polizzi invented the term, but uh, I I put a content tilt on it and I said, well, let's judge these guys based on, you know, how they would fare uh, if I was judging them like as, as a, not as an agency, but as a web property, like are they doing good at inbound marketing? How well, how good is their blog? Does their website look like it's designed for conversion? Are they active on their social channels? And so I took this look at it, rated them from one to 10 on those factors, top 10 agencies in my space. Um, and also there, there is a little trick here where I typically did stay away from direct competitor agencies of mine. I could have included some people that I thought um, were going to fit in, you know, would be an exact uh, competitor of mine, but instead mm-hmm. I chose these enterprise level agencies the larger giants and I'm just, you know, a little guy. So I I chose people that I didn't feel like I would be sending business away. I would only be helping people that were looking for enterprise solutions, which is great because I'd I'd love to help somebody else, you know, get them and I can't really take an enterprise client. Um, Nowadays I can, but back then we couldn't uh, couldn't take like a $10,000 a month job, Mm. something like that, we were too small. So, so I, I, I ranked everybody on these factors, uh, got a lot of comments and, and love from people. And then what I really uh, did, and, and I wanted it to be genuine. You gotta, it's gotta be authentic, honest. You know, we don't, we, we do of course have our own little bias or whatever, but we don't want to, um, we don't, ju- we don't want to say we're number one on this list, right? We, we don't include ourselves at all on the list. Uh, we only, we, we talk about ourselves in the beginning. We say as an agency. Uh, in San Diego, we are very familiar with our competitors. And while we'd like you to, uh, for you to choose Splash OPM with link to our you know homepage or whatever, um, if you've decided to go with somebody else, here are our uh, top 10 choices for you. So you have this like nice disclaimer that is also a little bit of a trust builder, but make sure that you, you know, it's like, hey, consider us too, but here's some other people to consider. And it's built actually on this one premise 
which is, um, um, and again, I'm actually stealing this concept from Marcus Sheridan, who's at the sales lion on Twitter. Um, my favorite marketer. Uh, oh, um, me too. <laughs> yeah, he, he's so good. So, um, you know, he says customer ignorance is no longer a, a viable solution, meaning we have to assume that they're going to look at our competitors, right? They're, they're, people are on the internet. They're searching for us. Don't act like they don't exist. Go talk about the things that are actually going on. Talk about the competitors. And so for that reason, um, when, you, when, you put, when you propose this piece of content, on your, when you put it up on the site, people see you talking about their competitors. It lowers the trust barrier like mad. Still by far the best converting piece of content we have on our site um, is, is that blog post because they're like, People are like, I don't want to hire the agency that's number one on your list. I want to hire the guy that ranked number one for digital marketing agency, and I can trust him because he's fine, he's comfortable talking about his competitors. So it really breaks down that trust barrier. And then once one final like thing on the promotion of this that went really well, because I targeted larger agencies, I was actually able to go into Facebook and run targeted Facebook ads to all of the employees of these agencies. So they ended up backlinking to me and sharing the content on their social channels and on their sites ultimately driving me to number one in the rankings, surpassing many of these very companies. Yeah, that's awesome. I was literally just going to ask you about promotion. Was there any other forms of promotion you did with that piece? Um, let's see. I'm thinking I, don't, I didn't do a ton of additional promotion. There, there might have been a couple of other things, but I, I didn't like go to 100 resource pages and ask people to link to that or anything like that. And honestly, I was really surprised when I found it up at number one because it took two or three months and then it just popped up the rankings. So I think probably a couple of key backlinks were the, were the secret to success there because my competitors backlinked to me. It drove the post up. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I think that was really, it, it doesn't take that much. What's really funny about this industry is, um, and you, you've heard the term, the, the cobbler's son doesn't have shoes. Yeah. Well, all of these agencies live by this motto, like, okay, we're going to do stuff for our clients, but not for ourselves. And we as an agency decided that we're never going to let that happen to us. Um, and, and the truth is these people are paying $10 cost per click to, you know, be the first for digital marketing agency, San Diego. And almost none of those agencies have ever thought to write a blog post in order to tackle that topic which is kind of funny if you think about it. So as an agency, they're not even tying their own SEM to their own SEO, even though a lot of these companies are SEM, SEO agencies. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I, I love I love that example. I really, I mean, I've spoken about this example to uh, random people I've, I've spoken to in the past year. And I love it because it's authentic, right? You said that. But I love it that you're being real with yourself because a lot of startups, they're like, oh, you know, we're launching a new, you know, soda. Well, you guys call it soda. We call it, soft drink or whatever it is right? we're launching a new soft drink and um you know we can't talk about coke they're a competitor and it's like be real with yourself man like no one knows who you are you're not a competitor to coke you know and it, i know it's a, it's a big example yeah. but still if you're a competitor to coke you've already lost yeah that's right <laughs> yeah. that's right um you've been very public about working your way up as a public speaker and you know progressively getting onto bigger and bigger stages so i'm just curious how has that been going for you and what are your own steps or, you know, what are any kind of tips you can give to grow as a professional speaker? Uh, I'm certainly working my way up now. So I wouldn't look at me as some uh, as giving you advice from like the top. I'm, I'm probably giving you advice from from the bottom. Uh, but um, but I, I actually asked uh, Vincent Dignan this question yesterday and he won best B2B speech uh, or talk at South by Southwest 
a couple of years ago, and he described the exact process of how he did a small local talk at a Techstars. He, he was in a Techstars, uh, uh, what's it called, uh, round or, or season or whatever. Um, and then that talk turned into a couple more talks that then turned into a speaking gig and people liked it. So then he did, ended up doing this um, America tour where he went to every Eventbrite and meetup, uh, Eventbrite page and meetup group, emailed or, or messaged the owners and said, hey, I'd like to speak in your XYZ. And he gave the most phenomenal talk in like 200 random places across the United States. And that really blew up his brand. So I, I liked that strategy a lot. If you can afford to do that, it's the time and the money commitment for for doing that. And it mm. all it all stemmed back to one key thing um, that I, I kind of called him out on, which was having the most valuable, like no BS talk that you can give in a short period of time that just wows people so much, they have to refer business to you. They have to refer speaking gigs to you because it's like somebody else needs to hear this. And that's what Vincent does really well. He's able to give a phenomenal talk. So for me personally, um, it's it's been a little bit uh i've decided to take that advice finally i've talked about twitter marketing a lot i've talked about facebook marketing i've talked about seo I've talked about inbound and content i've talked a little bit about growth uh all of these things aren't true to myself so i'm giving a talk in just a couple of days here um on uh growth risk adversity and like the decision making process and that's really what i'm all about and that's what my background as a poker player uh has me has me doing really well so, um, so you know, going back to my roots in, in decision making and, and in in those things, I think I'll be able to create that grade A phenomenal talk. And then I'm just going to start. I'm going to stop doing one talk for one audience once, and I'm going to only do the same talk. And then it's like I have to find out where that talk um, will go, like where 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 I can go and give that talk. So that that's another mistake that I was kind of making is is trying to create a new talk, do that talk, and then hoping I'll get more talks, more business, more referrals. I think it's about refining one talk over and over again until it's it's perfect because that's how you you get um, a speaking gig referral. Yeah, um, yeah never yeah. thought about it that way. You know, refining the, you just getting it better and better and better. That, that's that's quite interesting. What are, what are some of the, now that you've, get started it's one of those things like a business right you, there's unknown unknowns there's things you don't realize until you get into it what are a couple of things that now that you, you're on this path of becoming a, a speaker and getting onto bigger and bigger stages what are key things that you know now that you didn't know before and i guess as a speaker what do you tell yourself in those private moments when you're when you're thinking about it when you're thinking about your growth in that area when you're preparing yourself you know talk to me about that a little bit you're talking about like the, the the secret moments of a speaker. The second part of your question. Yeah, you saw um, a few things there, but yeah, you start wherever you wherever you're comfortable. I I think um, I, I have I have confidence, even though I get I think I get nervous, and, and everyone has a little bit of stage fright. Um, but I have confidence in the material I'm delivering. I think the more prepared you are, the more confident you'll be at what you do. I technically. Um, I, I just try and review my key points because uh, memorizing any kind of speech or anything super hard and I, I don't think I do it. I don't think anyone really does it very well. It's very, very hard to do well. Um, and I just try and speak from what I know and let my slides guide me on that. So I give myself reminders in my slides, then I look at them and then I go, oh, that's right. I have a story to tell. Mm -hmm. So I'm just as surprised as the audience, <laughs> right? Um, embedding some social shares and some key takeaways with those one, you know, that big slide with the big 
catchy phrase. If you can create those catchy phrases, Jay Bear is insanely good at creating those catchy phrases um, and putting them in, in his slide deck and then getting people to tweet them out magically. Um, what was the first part of the question again? Uh, I guess, uh, man, I was just so intrigued by the second part of my question. I've almost forgot it. Um, I guess, you know, speaking, talking about you becoming a speaker, what are some things that you didn't realize before you started that you've realized now you like i think you, you already touched on one before you know like taking us taking a particular speech and refining it over time or a particular talk and refining it over time what are other things is it harder than you thought it was going to be is is there you know other things you weren't prepared for that you are now i i actually think it's very easy uh to to be up on stage and speak in front of people and i think it's really powerful um, just like the tests that they've done in the past where if you wear a lab coat or, 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 or something like that, like you look like a doctor, people will believe you more, right? So if you, if you say, hey, I'm a doctor, then people believe you, which is kind of silly because you're really no more credible on any subject matter than anyone else. Um, and so when you're on stage, you have this kind of like, I'm a speaker, like I know what I'm talking about thing. But the truth is every speaker is just another person who's just trying to figure it out just as much as the next guy. And sometimes we're trying to figure it out from the crowd and from you. Like we're, we're trying to learn from you you guys as fast as you're, you're trying to learn from us. Um, I, so I think, I, I think it's uh, really fascinating that you can present yourself as an authority so easily. And I think that it's something that obviously can be taken for granted. I honestly tell people, um, because I, I did a talk, how to become an expert digital marketer in six months or less. Uh, or maybe it was one year or less, but now I, I think it, it would be six months or less if I redid it. Mm. Um, and, and I told people, um, I told people in the talk, I said, you shouldn't be here right now because I'm not the best in the industry. And my advice is to only follow and listen to the best, like the five or 10 best people in the industry. Um, and, and so, but for that reason, like it's hard to get go going as a speaker if, if you believe that other people follow that mentality, which I think is generally true. Um, you know, 99% of people are listening to the 1% of of the best speakers in their advice. But from a spe speaker standpoint, that just means that I have to make sure that I become the best. If I'm not in the top 1% of uh, great speakers in my niche, which we'll, we'll just say is growth, at the corner of growth marketing startup, something like that inbound, um, some unique corner of that. If I can't be at the that top position of that in the next couple of years, then really it will never amount to all that much. And so it's just like product market fit, uh, as soon as you start to get into that 1%, and I've started to experience a little bit of growth with my channels because of, of, of the connections I've made um, and the contacts that, that, I, I, that I, I've got now. And, uh, and you can see that there's like a, it's easier for a new person to follow you. It's easier for a new person to subscribe to your list. And it turns out it's because of all of that, you know, previous work you did building upon your reputation uh, piece by piece. And on that note, I think the, the one final thing that I realized uh, while doing this is that it's, it, it, it really is about who you know, it's, or better said, who you associate yourself with. Um, you're supposed to be, you know, you, you need to surround yourself with people that have great connections to the, to the things that you're looking to get done. Um, you need to provide them with immense value. Um, so it, sitting down and giving an influencer or a key connector uh, three or four hours of your time and asking for nothing in return, but perhaps building a real friendship from that relationship. And then down the road, that can that can serve you very well in the connections they can help make for you and the speaking gigs they can help 
book for you and all, all of those things. I think it's really important and it's, it's not like, it's not uh, meant to be said in a vain way. It's really about building key relationships with people that are doing either similar things or things that can help you in, in, the, in, your, in your end goals and making sure that those people are also pushing you to do like the best thing you can do. Mm, yeah, awesome, man. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, I, I definitely got a lot out of that personally, and I'm sure a lot of other people did as well. And um, yeah, it was the video you're talking about was becoming digital marketer within a year. Because I know that because I was actually going to lead with that with my final question. So you, you, you have this video up, which I'll share in the show notes as well, where you talk about, you know, how you became a digital marketer within a year. Obviously, you were, you were touching on things before, but in, a, in, a, in quite a concentrated fashion now. The, uh, my final question for you is in a, in a space where, and I've asked other people on the show as well, and I'm really curious to get your thoughts about this. At the pace where everything is moving, how does a digital marketer keep up in this day and age? And you know, how do you keep up in this day and age as well? Uh, niche it up. So the first thing you need to do is stop doing about 80% of what you're doing. And no, I don't believe in the Pareto 80-20 rule. That's, that's BS. Uh, that's not actually a real thing. It's just like a generalization that people fall back on too much. Um, I mean, after all, if you really thought that only 20% of the things you were doing resulted in 80% of the work, then why the what are you doing the other 80% of the time? You're just wasting time. You're an idiot. I don't think so. <laughs> Anyways, that's that's my thoughts that. on that. But uh, but the um, if you're if you're a, like a digital marketer, you're focused on SEO, inbound content, advertising, social media, email marketing, um, CRO, and the list goes on. Right. So um, I pr- it works. It works so well. Our agency is uh, in the process of making the final pivot to becoming a social media management, growth, and advertising agency. And that's already three things, but it's already in a very finite market, and mm-hmm. it's for a handful of channels. So if you think about that, you know, over five channels, five major social channels, and over three things we're doing, that's 15 things we have to be an expert on. So if you just if you if you just add content to that that that's thirty things we have to now be an expert on and and then you add S, uh, SEM and you know so so the more the less you you need to know you know at a six to eight level all of the surrounding fields uh, around your space as a digital marketer you need to understand email marketing you need to understand copywriting really well uh, copywriting is just something that really every everybody needs. Anybody that's trying to convince anybody or, or influence anybody kind of can benefit from that. But um, but you know, the, think about the one core thing that you find the most interesting and become an expert at that. If you're, you know, some people that I've been talking to recently are some of the best growth hackers in the world, which means they will get a uh, six a mid-level six-figure job in any well-funded startup that they want to work for because they are one of the best growth hackers in the world. If you are the best AdWords advertiser in the world, one of the best at that, then you can get uh, you know big money clients and you can be the best at that. And then you could contract out the rest. Don't uh, you know? let somebody else worry about the rest. And of course, the more things you can add in there, um, it's not about being like, you're either a jack of all trades or you're master of none. I do consider myself a master of many, um, but the way I think about it is I'm an eight or a nine at a lot of skills, and then I might be a 10 at just one or two. So uh, you know, you do need a high bar, I think, to sometimes, especially if you're running a company in a lot of different ways, but the truth is you know, focusing on one, one key aspect, being a 10 at one thing, and even just being a seven at everything else, um, and trying to, of course, objectively give yourself those scores, um, it, 
and uh, it is going to help you. It's going to help you focus on on being the best. So, so because I'm focused in this one corner of the industry, and I see things about the other stuff, I'm able to I'm able to really hone in for my myself and my uh, clients on that one problem. Yeah, awesome, man. Awesome answer. Thank you so much for sharing that. And where can people find you? Connect with you? Hear more about what you do? I am at Six Peppers on Twitter, so uh, S-I-X-P-E-P-P-E-R-S, or you can go to Derek.link forward slash Twitter, and uh, that's D-E-R-R-I-C dot link forward slash Twitter, and I'm actually on a lot of social channels. My favorites are inbound.org and Quora, actually, um, and if you want to follow me on any of those cha- any of your favorite social media channels, go to Derek.link forward slash Facebook Quora inbound org growth hackers um twitter snapchat you know instagram derek.link forward slash that you'll find me there cool so forward slash one of those not all of those right yeah yeah (laughs) whatever your favorite is uh i'm not on snapchat that much i'm going to be doing a lot of facebook living in the future so um if you have a preference i go with derek.link forward slash facebook i suppose and you'll you'll see more of me yeah awesome i'll link that in the show notes as well so nobody gets lost derek haney thank you so much for your time Yeah, thank you. Thank you so very much, Derek Haney, for coming onto the show. Truly insightful, and for me personally, very inspirational, and hopefully for you guys too. It's nice to hear from someone who's well into the journey of personal and professional brand building, as opposed to someone who, you know, maybe kind of hit it five or ten years ago. I'm glad we also got to hear from an actual growth marketer slash growth hacker, quote-unquote, Derek shared some very realistic tips and stories that anyone listening can benefit from. And definitely check out the show notes, redpandas.com.au forward slash EP35. I'll link to everything he spoke about, especially the Growth Hackers Ice tool. Not only the article, but I'll also actually link to a Google Docs template where you can go in, plug in your own numbers, and come up with your own crazy ideas. Look, that's all from me. Apologies for any fans that listen to the show on the day it's released. I know I'm running a couple of days late. Please forgive me. In my frantic rush to get ready for Inbound, my final week in Sydney, it's kind of left me back a few days. And Inbound actually is just a week from today. So next time you hear from me, I'll be broadcasting from the very cold, yet I'm sure very beautiful Boston. So don't forget to tune in on that one. If you're not going to be at Inbound this year, then I'm sure you'll get some key takeaways from me. But if you are, we'd love to catch up with you. I'm already catching up with the uh, guys from the Hubshots podcast, a bunch of listeners, a bunch of Aussies as well. So definitely hit me up at Moby Sadiq on Twitter or Moby at redpandas.com.au. Hope you have a fantastic week ahead, and I'll catch up with you next time from Boston for another episode of Inbound Buzz. Thanks for listening to Inbound Buzz. Learn anything? Return the favor by spreading the word. Want to make your mark in digital? Need help with your digital strategy, inbound, and marketing automation efforts? Then visit redpandas.com.au and be sure to tune in next time for another Inbound Buzz hit.